Yeah, last week was insane, and the full moon theory makes a lot of sense. I was going to say Mercury was in reggaeton or whatever the fuck, because, <laughs> yeah, last week was horrible. <laughs> it was At crazy. Work and just personally, but, but uh, <laughs> some dumbass is going to be like, it's retrograde. <laughs> They're going to think I'm an idiot. I'm making a joke, a very bad one at that. But yeah. Uh, no, yeah, this week's starting off much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mercury, Mercury's in reggaeton in a, in rigatoni in a, uh, <laughs> in, in, rigatoni. in a, in a whole ass Panasonic. Uh, so exactly. Yeah. In a pancetta. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping it all Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back. We were having technical difficulties, which you, the listener, will not be privy to, but hopefully now Zoom and the internet and (laughs) Bill Gates and fucking Elon Musk and all those people will just cooperate, (laughs) and that would be just great. Yeah. No, I mean... uh, (laughs) I don't know. Like we're, we're how many months into, into, you know, we're a full year into this pandemic and we still can't figure out, uh, getting zoom to work. So. Truly. I mean, <laughs> maybe just cause everyone yeah. and their mother's using zoom. I didn't, I hadn't yeah. heard of zoom before the pandemic. Did you know about zoom before? Cause I certainly did not. I knew about FaceTime obviously and like Google hangouts, but zoom, why did it's zoom one of those just that- like, get promoted yeah. and win the league. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things I'm kind of thinking about it and I'm, I can't, now I can't remember a time before zoom. Mm. It's exactly. like, as if I'm picturing zoom at, you know, the, all of my, in all of my memories, I'm like, no zoom was there. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Do you remember in the beginning of the, just quickly in the beginning of the pandemic when people were still figuring out how to use it and they were just kind like giving out their like ID and password, like, Hey, come join (laughs) us and like getting hacked by people playing porn. Yeah, That happened at my aunt's church. (laughs) Oh no. They were having a zoom like church and someone just came on, started playing porn. Just. Oh no! And the pastor was like, "Can everyone see that?" And his daughter's like, "Yes." <laughs> oh but man, anyway, that's brutal. It is that's brutal. Totally. Um, well, for those of you who are <laughs> internet savvy and right. have found this podcast, uh, we're we're on all the uh, the podcast platforms that you're you're familiar with, I'm sure. And um, yeah, if you haven't yet. Go ahead and uh, you know give us a follow, a, a subscribe, and uh, get the podcast in your in your feed. Um, we drop a new episode every week, uh, basically without exception. So sometimes um, more than that because the football. Yeah, won't sometimes quit. more frequently. <laughs> it does not stop, <laughs> and it didn't stop this weekend. Um, this weekend was defined was defined by derbies, uh, Mika. Mm-hmm. Big rivalry games happening all over all over Europe. Um, and how, how did this weekend feel with all these, all these big kind of rivalry matches going on? It was great. I, 
it was nice for me personally to take take in all this football, this derby and slash rivalry football because none of my teams were directly involved. So I was able to watch the games for what they were purely for the footballing entertainment. And, and that was really nice. Um, Der Classica, the Manchester Derby, the Madrid Derby, none of them disappointed. Um, e- even if some of the uh, results were perhaps a little bit pre- predictable. Um, and then the Derby de la Comunitat, Valencia Villarreal, that was kind of a under the radar Derby, which, you know, some of our followers have rightly pointed out. It's not as spiky as, you know, some of these other derbies that, that went on this past weekend, but still probably the more unpredictable one. Uh, and and so, yeah, they were all great, great viewing. I I liken this weekend. It actually, it it, it mirrors our, our kind of concept nicely because hardcore football, born out of a, a mutual love of the game, obviously, but yeah. also a mutual love of a kind of a specific set of music and, and culture. Um, and something that really struck me about this weekend is that it's, it really highlighted it once again, and we've had plenty of games that have done this, but it was almost like watching a really, really great live stream of your favorite band during this pandemic, Mm. um, where it's all of the technical it's all of the it's all of the the things you love about that band, but no one's there to to witness it or it join in you know that that moment with the team in terms of spectators you know right so some of the energy of these derbies is is a little sucked out of the building um, and can feel like a little bit hollow at times. I will say the players through this have injected quite a bit of energy back into these games and have made them feel like derbies, despite the fact that they're not. And, and I think uh, that they're not, uh, you know, attended and don't have that crazy um, kind of rabid support that you would normally see. Um, but in particular, the Lewandowski Erling Holland, like, heavyweight bout that we saw <laughs> at the weekend in Der Klasker, like that sort of matchup almost felt like it brought some of the energy back into the rivalry. Certainly. Yeah. I mean the, you know, Der Klassiker, even just the term Der Klassiker really winds people up because there is this belief that it's not really a rivalry. Um, but for the fact that, you know, Borussia Dortmund and, and Bayern Munich are the two most successful sides in Germany in recent history. Um, but it certainly felt like a classic. Um, I yeah. think, you know, you called it, Phil, and I think you need to start, you know, your betting career. But, you know, it ends up 4-2 <laughs> Bayern. But, I mean, it still felt classic in the sense that you had lots of goals, um, you know, a comeback, uh, a, a budding young star and, and a seasoned veteran, best striker in the world, going head to head, like you said, the the heavyweight bout. So it really had everything, and I think it actually lived up to the classicer name, I suppose. Whether you know you like that name or not, some people they don't mind it. The, you know, German media does use the the term, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. But uh, right. yeah, I mean, this game really gave you everything. Um, I think. Getting into the game itself, I think the game perhaps maybe stays even if Holland doesn't get injured in the 60th minute. 
Um, which I think that says that maybe that tells you something about Borussia Dortmund and that their their reliance on him is quite pronounced. I mean, I I, I crunched the numbers and he has scored thirty eight percent of their goals this season. <laughs> um, yeah, at, you know, nineteen goals in nineteen games. He's a monster. Um, but I suppose the same can be said of Lewandowski as well, who scores a lot of their their goals. The the difference being, I think that Bayern have a lot of world class quality really all over the pitch, whereas Dortmund mm-hmm. kind of have, you know, potentially world-class players, but um, for now still still quite young. And I think maybe the naivete um, and that balance that we've talked about or maybe lack thereof arguably between some of the, the veterans and the young players kind of exposed itself in that they couldn't, you know, maintain uh, the result on the road against a formidable Bayern, to be fair. So... But yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, though, very entertaining match. Yeah, this Dortmund, I will say, missing a few key pieces, mm. it, it should be said. Um, and well, primarily Jaden Sancho, like in, in some good form uh, out of this one. But um, I think Dortmund's plan worked in the sense that they set up to like go out and smack Byron in the mouth, grab a lead and then defend it. Right. And that was, it, it worked. <laughs> it's just Byron at this point, like the way that this Dortmund team is set up, they, they don't have the capability to hold that two nil for 80 minutes. Right. They don't have that wherewithal. They don't really have that that amount of of, uh, of um, just defensive capability. I think uh, against a team like Bayern, I think ultimately the Holland injury does play a big part um, in in yeah. Dortmund's uh, like lack of lack of fight um, later on in the game, but. Bayern too, in the amount that they generated were always likely to win. Um, given the fact that like just pure numbers wise, they were creating some pretty decent chances, um, at, at a pretty frequent regularity. And yeah, unfortunately for Dortmund, I think it's, I think it's just right now, this, this team, like I said, just doesn't really have the solidity to be able to pull off something like this. The only way that they actually win this game, I think is if they get into, if they turn it into a, 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 a track meet. Sure. Like, right. And that, that to me is how they would have potentially been able to, to make, to make Bayern. Uh, but you know, by taking the early lead, I, I totally get Terzic's thinking where it's like, okay, quick fire double to start the game off. Byron's all over the place. Let's just lock up shop. Um, but to only have one more shot on target the rest of the game, like that's not really going to get the job done against this, this Bayern squad, especially with Lewandowski in the four season. Absolutely. And and there's no telling whether turning it into a track meet would have led to the result anyway, because we saw RB Leipzig turn it into a track meet against Bayern and it ended in True. a draw three, three. So that's the yeah. thing about Bayern is they have the depth and the, institutional memories shall we say to to play that game too um so yeah. yeah i mean i think at the end of the day Byron were full value for the win i mean clinical from Lewandowski, a hat trick um he's just a joke <laughs> i don't know what else to say <laughs> about robert Lewandowski that hasn't already been said i think 
maybe he goes for the Ballon d'Or again. <laughs> yeah. Because I certainly think I if mean, it was awarded, it would have been to him last last season. So. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he maybe he doesn't quit until, you know, he, until he, he just it. continues to pursue it until he gets it. Right. Um, I, I will say, you know, um, to your to what you said earlier about about me predicting this, uh, I, I will say that I, I tweeted at immediately following Holland's second goal. <laughs> I I did say that it would end for two to Bayern and I said it mostly as a joke, but I think that at the end of the day, like we've seen this movie before, like we've seen, we've seen this Bayern team go down and end up winning pretty comfortably anyways. Um, This is not the best iteration of Bayern ever, as I think most teams are not their best iteration Right. uh, right now, but they are still packed full of attacking talent and to have a front four of Lewandowski, Leroy Zane, Thomas Muller and Kingsley Coman like to start and uh, to be able to, <laughs> to bring Serge Gnabry right. <laughs> off the bench. Right. Like that's crazy. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, but I will say with my prediction, um, I don't know, CBS, uh, you know, Maybe you're looking for someone to pair with Jamie Carragher and <laughs> and the like. Um, you know, the analysis is there. That's all I'm saying. There we go. <laughs> uh, um, we had another. The other result, obviously, like Bayern still top of the table, but Leipzig keep pace by with a comfortable win over Freiburg. And that that sparked a question from Mikey D, Mikey D on Twitter. Um, can Leipzig actually challenge Bayern down the stretch, or is this another fake title race in Germany? Fake title race. <laughs> That's harsh, but I do get what you mean, Mikey. Um, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I think Bayern will win it at the end of the day. Um, they're just that good. Uh, but uh, the underlying metrics are actually quite interesting when you look at Rosenbosch, Sport Leipzig. Um, they tell you that they actually are the better team uh, when they beat other sides, and actually their uh, expected goals against is pretty much equal with what they actually concede, so they're fairly beating opponents, and they're conceding as much as they deserve to. Nothing more, nothing less, so... Um, I, I just thought that that was kind of fascinating. It doesn't, you know, there's no like huge, huge weakness in this side, even, even with Timo Werner having moved on to Chelsea. So, um, I don't know. I, I think with Leipzig in particular, um, there's a, I, you know, I spoke about it just a couple minutes ago. There's an institutional memory that Bayern have that they don't when it comes to winning things. And I really do yeah. think psychologically that that means a lot. It, I mean, there's more than the numbers that go into uh, winning champions or, you know, championships and, and titles. And, you know, Leipzig are just such a new kid on the block that they just don't have that yet. It would be incredible um, from a sporting perspective. Socially, totally unacceptable in Germany. I think they might cancel <laughs> the Bundesliga next season if that were to happen. But uh, yeah. Um, from a sporting perspective, it would be absolutely fascinating if they can take him to the wire and maybe even nick it. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the, the one edge that Bayern has consistently had year over year in the Bundesliga has been their depth. Yeah. Like their quality and depth is just 
absurd, right? Like on the level, obviously of, of your Manchester cities, Real Madrid's like these massive, uh, global teams that, that, uh, that dominate, you know, their domestic leagues. I think Leipzig this season quietly have very solid depth. Um, at, at least in attacking areas, they, they have pretty strong depth and even in midfield, it's not bad. Um, in this match against Freiburg, they started with Yusuf Poulsen and, and Alexander Sorlot up top. Um, and they brought Huang Hee Chan off the bench and Emil Forsberg. Yeah. So like those are two players that could easily, you know, be starting on a different day. Um, and yeah, ultimately I think, I think Leipzig as a unit, I think they can, I think they can run it close. I don't know that they have what it takes to overtake this Bayern team, but they've at least made it interesting. And 24 games into the, into a, uh, into a 34 game Bundesliga season. That's, I mean, that's a lot more than could be said for many teams over the years. Absolutely. And I think RB Leipzig and Bayern meet each other on April 2nd or something like that. So that, that second meeting is, is, is looming. So that'll be, it may be a, a title implication uh, game. So we'll see. Um, defensively too, though. I mean, you pointed out midfield and attack, but I mean, they're selling Upamakano in the summer and people are like, okay, well, Kanate is better anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. Kanat, they have Ibrahim Kanate. They have Nordi Mukiele. I mean, they, it's just ridiculous. The amount of talent in yeah. that side um, that they've managed to get from abroad and from, you know, Leafering Salzburg, those other Red Bull clubs. So, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I don't know. I think, I think it'll be close. Um, because just because no team is super consistent right mm-hmm. now, like no team is, is really blowing, blowing anybody out of the water, but Leipzig have five wins in a row. So, Crazy. um, yeah, they've, they've kept the pace. Um, ac- around the rest of the Bundesliga, uh, Schalke drew, against Mainz in what was a relegation six pointer. Well, against the two like bottom feeder clubs right now um, and nil nil. So nothing to see here, folks move on, uh, move along. <laughs> I just, I, um, I, the only thing that I pay attention to Shaka wise now is, is mama Hoppy and her tweet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she is, she is precious and must be protected at all Absolutely. costs. <laughs> um, Eintracht and, and Stuttgart played to a one, one draw, which was, uh, interesting in that the goals were scored one minute apart from each other. Sasha Kalajic, uh, scored for Stuttgart, Philip Kostic equalized a minute later for Frankfurt. And that was that, uh, Frankfurt had the better of, of proceedings in terms of shots, but, um, but yeah, a draw for, for two teams that I think have gotten a little bit of a reputation for being exciting attacking teams, not the fireworks that maybe some expected. Right. Yeah. Um, Hoffenheim got a win against Wolfsburg and an important one, uh, two, one Wolfsburg, uh, were, uh, well, Vout Veghorst scored again, but canceled out by goals from Christopher Baumgartner and Andre Kramerich. Um, and uh, Kramerich low key having a good season, even though Hoffenheim yeah. have been kind of mad. I've, I've pointed him out in the past as one of the most underrated attackers in Europe. 
Yeah. Hoffenheim, um, comfortably mid table, I guess at this point. Um, but some poor results this season, like one of the, one of those weird ones where they've had some just absolute shockers, but yeah. then, you know, earlier this season beat Byron four nil. So <laughs> <laughs> riddle me that, um, this one, a tough, another tough result for Defolen. uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach lost at home to Bayer Leverkusen. I'm, I mean, Mika, you were quick in the group chat with the hashtag Rosa Rouse, but <laughs> how, oh. how's this one got you feeling? Shambles. Shambles. We've not won since he made the announcement. I mean, you cannot tell me that that doesn't affect the squad in the locker room. Um, yeah. I think Max Ebel is just very reluctant to make a change midseason. He's always been, you know, the pragmatist and would have to have the board's approval anyway. So this farce will just continue. Um, and, and yeah, I just over it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hertha really important win two mm-hmm. one over Augsburg and they actually climb up to 15th, uh, Herta and, and, just a couple of points space now between them and Armenia Bielefeld in, uh, in that relegation playoff spot. I know. And I think Armenia also got a draw. So I think they were really hoping Arta could continue to be horrific, but I think Dodi Lukabakio and one other scored finally. So. <laughs> yeah, it was uh Piontek. Um, so, uh, yeah, the big money and marquee signing of last year, uh, doing some some good but only in patches unfortunately for the capital the capital club um fc Köln and and Werder bremen played to a 1-1 draw and notable in that josh Sargent uh scored for for Werder bremen four goals on the season for the american and that matches his uh whole total from last season so with 10 games to go very good um and then, as you said, Armenia and Union Berlin played to a nil-nil draw. Um, so the Bundesliga really at the top, you know, it's it's a two-horse race now. Bayern and RB Leipzig and then uh, Wolfsburg and Eintracht um, getting a little bit more comfortable in third and fourth and in those Champions League places, which would be great to see some, some fresh faces in the Champions League um, out of Germany. But Leverkusen having gone through a pretty horrific patch are only three play, three points out of the champions league spots and uh, Dortmund just a single point behind them. So the, the champions league race will likely go deep into the season as well. Um, as we said at the bottom, Mainz and Schalke are, are uh, down there, but Mainz now just a single point back of Armenia and Armenia two points from safety. So, um, and FC Col- Hertha FC Köln uh, are really the ones in, in striking distance still of the bottom. So a um, couple of things could happen there in terms of uh, maybe a great escape for, for Mainz or Armenia. I hope it's Armenia to be honest. <laughs> that would just be a good story. Yeah. Um, well, that, wraps up the Bundesliga I think for now I mean another massive derby uh, across Europe though uh and this one really 
having major implications at the top of the league table in La Liga at Letico Madrid uh, versus Real Madrid, the Derby del Madrileño um, one, one draw, but that hardly tells the story of this game. No, it was, it was, I mean, as they always are a very hard fought game, obviously Atleti jump out to the one nil lead with an incredible Luis Suarez goal, uh, obviously a player who, relishes these kinds of occasions um and and certainly showed up here on the score sheet for his team um real insane like timing to stay on side like i just the i mean barca that's just the biggest self-own to sell luis suarez <laughs> to atletico madrid i understood selling him but selling him to yeah. a league rival i just it continues to yeah. look more and more clownish every week i this goal to me is one of those that you could you could show as like the quintessential Luis Suarez goal. Mm. Um because the timing of the run as you said, it he's off for like 99% of the time that uh I can't remember who plays the pass. Um I can't remember if that's is that Koke out on that wing. But anyways, um, whoever plays that pass or maybe it was Correa. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> whoever plays that pass in behind the amount of time that they had the ball, Suarez is offside for a majority of it. And it only is onside at the very last moment. But he's bent. He's bent his run in such a way that he's lost no momentum moving forward. Mm-hmm. So he's it's just so efficient in the way that he, that he does that. And so intelligent in the way that he reads, reads the space as well. And then as he's bearing down on, on Courtois goal, like to be able to shift your body and get that into a outside of the boot shooting position where it looked, it looked like really his only option was going to be to try to go near post. On, on his right foot um, open, like turns his body completely like contorts and <laughs> finds a way to shape one of those just trademark, uh, you know, El Pistolero <laughs> outside of the boot bending, bending finishes. It, it's a, it's just a great goal from, from Luis Cito. And, and as you said, like, <laughs> I don't know what Barca are doing. Like, it's just a, an insane decision. Um, for him to stay in the league yeah. and uh, and to go to a direct rival, the fact that the fact he wasn't just shipped straight to Juventus or something somewhere is like absolutely crazy to I me. I mean, he like fraudulently took an Italian citizenship exam and then didn't yeah. even <laughs> <laughs> didn't even do didn't even make the move. It was Marcos Llorente who set him up. The oh, lifelong that's right. Real Madrid fan, Real Madrid Academy product who uh, set up the goal and who Madrid sold to Atletico. Um, Damn. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, Atleti, though, will they ever exercise their Derby demons? Because it has been since 2016 that they've not beaten Real in the in wow. La Liga. They've, they've beaten them, and I think, in like a UEFA Super Cup. And, of course, there were some preseasons here and there, the famous preseason in New Jersey where they beat them like 7-2 or something. But yeah. in the league, it's been a struggle. And, again, Phil, you – I think you're uh, the one that – maybe this is all you having crashed football index 
your <laughs> tell the truth i kind of i kind of yeah i kind of went off this weekend a little bit because yeah about 15 minutes before the equalizer i tweeted this this game has benzema equalizer written all over it um and but it did like that's the type of that's just the type of thing that at Atle- that atleti manifest against mm-hmm. real madrid it's just like and you could see each time that they didn't take a chance to make it two nil, the the Benzema meter was filling, <laughs> like, and it was just climbing until it's like ding 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 ding, like, and it's time. and it, it, yeah. And the two people involved in the goal are actually the best two Real Madrid players to be involved because it's the two people that just always seem to pop up in these sort of moments. And that's Casemiro and Benzema. And Casemiro is known as a shit house, right? Like defensive midfielder, grafter, like primarily. Yeah. But then every once in a while, he pops up with these moments. Whether it's a absurd volley, whether it's a you know a, a a decent dribble, whatever. In this case, he's in the box. He is, yeah, and he's beating people, and then squaring the ball to a wide open Benzema to tap in um, right as Jan Oblak is diving at his feet. He's able to get it, you know, to square it across. Um, and I cannot tell you as someone who absolutely does not sympathize with Real Madrid. I hate most of these players <laughs> like um, and Casemiro and Benzema are, are two players that I loathe mm. with a passion. And I just, but it, you just, it's always them. It's always one of those two who are going to pop up against Atleti, and they did it again. Both of them are extremely clutch. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh... <laughs> I don't know where Real Madrid would be without Kareem Benzema, though, this year. I genuinely think Zidane would have been sacked already. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> he's He's been carrying... I mean, when, you know, Vinicius and Rodrigo, Marco Sensio, like, none of them are, are are playing near... Anywhere near Kareem's level, and he's carrying the goal-scoring burden, really, for Real Madrid. So, yeah. And then, uh, like you said, Casemiro, just so clutch. Like, always just... When you need something, the, your defensive yeah. midfielder comes up with it. More often than not. Yeah. It's just mental. Um, and this was a Sergio <laughs> Ramos less Real Madrid that yeah. we're able to get a, you know share the points, but I mean yeah, Atleti though they in a lot of ways they beat themselves. I wanted to to shake Angel Correa like he missed so many chances, some misplaced so many easy yeah. passes. I mean Carrasco, Yannick Carrasco, I thought he did an excellent game, worked his socks off, but just wasn't getting the support I guess that he needed in the second half and um. Yeah. Yeah, Colchoneros fans will be just really annoyed with this one as per the the state of the league table as a result is obviously that Atleti maintain their their gap um, three points over Barcelona and five points over Real Madrid. But now the single game in hand um, and it's just not looking quite as comfortable as uh, Atletico fans were looking at that point when the gap was, you know, 11 and yeah. 
And now it's just it's just shrinking little by little here. I Liga. um the the other the other derby as we spoke about at the top of the show the derby del communitat um valencia versus Villarreal. this game um i think it's safe to say justice was served in that valencia to get the win Mm. but they left it extremely late um and to me, one of the feel-good moments of the weekend. For sure, because the the winger that we spoke about last time out, thanks to Jake Konecki, Gonzalo Gedge, he scores the winner, and it's a really good goal. Um, this Derby, actually, I feel was the most Derby-like uh, in terms of like c- controversy and like refereeing. Sure. There were some penalties that I thought were sus shall we say i thought the guy handball was kind of harsh i i see why it was given but um and then maxi gomez's dive for valencia's penalty was yeah (laughs) he's there's definitely contact but he absolutely like and a man of his size to fall like that it just is like so cringe um So, you know, Gerard Moreno gets uh, Villarreal's only goal from the penalty spot. Then, of course, Soler equalizes after, you know, Maxi Gomez dived like that in the 86th minute. You know, like you said, leaving it super late. And then, of course, Gonzalo Gage, who we spoke of as someone who has, you know, we think have a lot more to prove and is certainly more talented than the numbers show. And maybe this can can help him build build a little bit of form. Um, Yeah. To be fair, it's criminal defending by Villarreal in that moment. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. I can't remember what was going on in the sequence prior to the goal, but like their midfield was just like not in the picture. And yeah. Christian Oliva on loan from Cagliari, I think, wearing the number 10 <laughs> shirt for Valencia, like drops the shoulder on some fool in yellow yeah. in midfield and then sets Gedge up for the winner. It was just like, what what's happening here? There's nobody in the picture for Villarreal and the back line is just like backing off. It was crazy. And Unai Emery was absolutely furious. I, I really loved, um, like really loved this moment from Oliva, um, (laughs) in terms of bringing the ball down. And like you said, he turns basically once and there's just no one in front of him. Yeah. And I mean, he, like I'm sure he was like, "What the hell is going on?" Maybe the whistle went. I'm yeah. just gonna keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, that he he looked. I caught. I had to look up who it was because I was like, "Wait, okay, Solaire doesn't move like this." Um, I was like, "But you Rochich, think it's somebody... is, is whiter than this?" So like, <laughs> but you think it's like so a it's big player because you see the fucking number ten. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking like, did they get like continue on loan or something? Holy like shit. what happened here? <laughs> Which like, that's a shout, by the oh, way. That, oh, um, yeah, that's why I said, holy shit. That's actually like yeah. a huge shout. <laughs> um, but in the end, uh, Gonzalo Gedge still has loads to do. Um, and from a pretty narrow angle, yeah. uh, finishes extremely well, just a bullet. And the, and the finish of a guy who I don't know that, you know, I, we talk some sometimes about Stadio and, and they have their angry goals. I don't think it's an angry goal, but it's definitely an angry celebration Indeed. followed by 
just emotion, like just pure emotion. And you could see what this goal meant, not only to Valencia, obviously, because they are still not a hundred percent safe. They need all the points they can get just to make sure that they remain kind of in that comfortable mid table space in La Liga, which we know is extremely tight. Mm -hmm. Um, But for Gedge, you could tell based on what we talked about last week, just how much pressure he's feeling to perform and how much, how much he wants to. So he brought out the shush. He did like celebration, which always an indication that like the player sees the criticism sees, you know, the talk around him. Um, but then the, just that moment of Valencia where all of like the entire team goes over to him to celebrate and he just buries his head in the first player's shoulder. And he's just like, he's just like, I, I don't know if he's crying, but he's like just overcome. Sure. It seemed like, right. Um, and one of those moments that again, like, it's devastating that there aren't fans there to witness these things because that moment would be so incredible in the Mestaya, like um, in front of, in front of fans, but um, just such a cool moment. And uh, on Friday afternoon had me feeling a little, a little buoyed after what was a, just a bullshit week. Uh, (laughs) We got this moment um, from Gedge with the, with the late winner for Valencia and, and, uh, obviously a massive goal for the club, but a massive goal for the player. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, hopefully it it spurs him into some kind of form, but even if he can make a career out of scoring these huge goals, then by all means, I mean, he scored the winner for the nation's league final and he scores a winner now on this Derby late. So if he can become that guy, that kind of closer, I suppose, then that would be cool. Mikey D came back with another question and asked, are Valencia safe after that win? No, (laughs) the difference. (laughs) The last time I looked at the La Liga table, the difference between eighth placed athletic club and 17th placed Elche is only nine points. So that is correct. Yeah. The La Liga (laughs) table is too tight to call right now. And I'd never guarantee anything for Valencia anyway. That's just, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's just crazy tempting fate exactly yeah. and uh but who knows maybe it maybe it's turning around for valencia they win the derby and the the prince of Johor is like twerking on twitter trying to buy them so <laughs> so new uh, super club inbound um, i don't know have you looked into this at all i was looking into this man and he owns like a malaysian club that are like like the fucking manchester city of southeast asia like they win everything oh and, damn they, yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we could. I mean, who knows? Stranger <laughs> things have happened. Um, the yeah, yeah. Not only are Valencia not safe, like I don't know if Villarreal are even safe. Like yeah. that's the level of of stupid that <laughs> that La Liga's on right now mm-hmm. um, at the bottom of the table. Because like Mika said, it, the gap is just so small. And for Valencia, it's eight points. Yeah. To the drop. Like, that is nothing. Yeah. And, I mean, because, like, every team in La Liga is decent. Like, even West Guy, like, I don't yeah. think they're shit the way I think, like, Sheffield United have been shit this week. You know, you know what I mean? Right. Like, this season. Uh, yeah. La Liga is just different. Huesca, if I'm not mistaken, Huesca played, like, a really, like, back and forth game this weekend. Yeah, with Celta. 
it was four three Celta Vigo. Yeah, there you go. Like <laughs> it was again, and that's the bottom side putting three goals on a good team. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's um, yeah, Celta barely escaped with their lives. Um, anyways, like yeah, there's a long way to go. Unfortunately, for Valencia to be safe, um, I would say they've got an opportunity coming up. They play Levante, Granada, Cadiz, and then Real Sociedad. Those next three, they probably need results. Um, and and then we might be talking about Valencia. Valencia is safe. The problem with this Valencia side is that they will do something good and then come out and just have an absolute shocker. Like when they beat Celta Vigo and then came out and lost to a Hatafe team who hadn't had a shot on target in a month. <laughs> So, yeah, um, so ways to go. Um, but Valencia, not the only shambles in Spain because, uh, FC Barcelona, um, you know, recently their president was arrested. The elections took place and they're turning back the clock and bringing back John, John Laporta, um, to the camp now as, as the president and trying to bring back the glory days of, uh, that Oh three to, to 2010 tenure that saw so many trophies come in to, uh, to Barcelona. Yeah, indeed. The, the man that, uh, hired Pep Guardiola as the first team manager and, and oversaw that six, trophy season is back in in Joan Laporta he comfortably beat Victor Font and Tony Frecha in the uh, uh election Lionel Messi cast his vote I think it was the first time that he ever voted uh in in a presidential election if I'm not mistaken and a lot of Barcelona fans are taking that as a sign that he may stay I don't know I mean it's I suppose it makes sense um you know why would you vote if you have no long-term interest in the club uh, I, I mean who knows but uh, yeah, Laporta's back, and um, maybe this will spur the team on for the rest of the season. Obviously, they have a huge match coming up against PSG. They're down significantly in that Champions League tie. They've been doing well in La Liga, and, and they just turned around a deficit against Sevilla in Copa del Rey. So um, it's looking it's looking brighter in, in Barcelona. But you know, we'll see if Laporta can, you know, if the second time around he can do just as well. I, I personally, I doubt it. I still think there's a lot at the club that that needs fixing that he he I don't know that he alone can do, obviously, um, but but we'll see. Yeah, it's an interesting one because he left, you know, he was he was not reelected despite all of that success um, in, in 2010. So I think that's a it's an interesting period. And there were, there was a lot of discontent despite all the success. There was a lot of discontent around Laporta at the time. Um, so maybe a bit of rose colored glasses from, from Barcelona socios in this one, but, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how they, uh, how they carry on business and, and what they target because, you know, is, the plan going to be to persevere with, with Ronald Coleman is, mm. are they going to pursue something else? Um, it'll be very interesting to see, uh, how, how Laporta approaches the challenge. And I think obviously Messi is probably, you know, number, number one on the to-do list in terms of, uh, <laughs> making sure he stays, but, Indeed. 
Um, but beyond that, there's a lot of decisions that that'll be made in the, in the next few months. And it'll be interesting to see how drastic things get at, at the, at the camp now. Um, Barca comfortable this weekend though. Um, all things considered, um, they beat Osasuna, I think, right? Yeah. Two mm-hmm. nil. Um, and Jordi Alba and, and Elish Mariba, uh, with a goal for, for Barca. First goal, I think, for him in his FC Barcelona career. Another La Masia graduate. So congratulations to him. Yeah, a little a little bit more of that uh, creeping into this team. And maybe maybe it's a good sign for Laporta's uh, tenure that it's starting off with, with some La Masia graduates coming <laughs> through um, because his last tenure was obviously, you know, uh, chock full of of them lifting trophies so um yeah um your uh your boys real betis uh involved in a in a classic today alaves uh <laughs> gave them a run for their money but but betis leaving it late and and finding a way to to get a 3-2 win yeah this uh 2021 real betis continues to delight like i was talking to you about before we started recording they have only one loss in the calendar year and that was three two to barca um so you know even in that fixture they hung on but just couldn't get it over the line they've had a four game winning streak since that loss and yeah i mean borja iglesias finally scoring goals um more regularly sergio canales continues to be the player of the season for me he's just incredible um, Joaquin <laughs> scores against Alaves today, <laughs> the timeless wonder. Uh, and yeah, it's just a fantastic remontada for Betis who were down two nil, um, at one point in this and then scored three unanswered. And I think Alaves are still in the relegation zone. At least they started the day there. They might obviously still yeah. be there. So, um, yep. yeah, great result for Betis, especially going into, uh, a grand derby coming up. So, <laughs> Yet, yet again, yes. yeah. The uh, the other the other results uh, around the league. Valladolid uh, got a two one win against Hatafe. Elche beat Sevilla two one. Um, big win for Elche, and uh, and Sevilla will not be thrilled with with that result. No, no, no. Elche are just trying to survive, um, and you know to get beat by another Andalusian side. Just after Andalusia Day and seeing Betis beat Cadiz, not great. Sevilla mudded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Cadiz, uh, they they beat Abar one um, nil. Alvaro Negredo, the the ageless wonder, uh, scoring for them. Uh, Celta, we as we said, four three winners over Huesca. Um, Real Sociedad got the one 0 win over Levante, and I know what you're thinking. No, Alexander Izak did not score, and that's now two games in a row that he has not scored. Hmm. So drought. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mikel Marino got the got the winner for Sociedad, um, and then Athletic Bilbao with a two one win over Granada. Um, so a good result for the Basque side. Um, and, uh, yeah, as we said, Atleti's still top, but getting a little precarious with Barca and Real Madrid chasing Sevilla remain in fourth. Um, but Sociedad are now back to just three points back, um, of Sevilla and Betis are in sixth. That would be amazing <laughs> if Betis are able to somehow sneak into Europe. 
at uh and we we described most of the bottom of the table for you but yeah that's a uh, it, it's really interesting to see Betty's uh I mean we were talking about them in like 13th 14th earlier in the season and now up towards the the upper reaches yep it's it's crazy um, hopefully they continue and <laughs> Pellegrini man I don't know if you ever see him on the touchline but he looks like he's getting younger I don't know if it's yeah. like the <laughs> the Seville sunshine or what. Like he's not even like that gray anymore. He looked like he was fucking dead <laughs> at West Ham. Like <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so it's doing oh him some God. good too. Uh, yeah, it, Manuel Pellegrini. Maybe I don't know some straight up Benjamin Button <laughs> occurrences uh, <laughs> in Andalusia, but. Um, well, we've still got a, another big derby to talk about, the Manchester derby. Um, but I think before we do, we should probably take a quick break. Yeah, let's do that. Welcome back. It was a Manchester Derby this weekend, Mika, and uh, it maybe didn't go as planned. Uh, Manchester City came into this one on a high. Manchester United had three scoreless draws in a row, and yet uh, early penalty for Bruno Fernandes, uh, followed by a Luke Shaw, a Luke Shaw second, and a two nil win for Manchester United at the Etihad. Um, and and a, uh, a a derby win for the red side of Manchester. Yeah, really, really impressive by only Glenn Solskjaer's men. I thought, I thought they played very well. They played to their strengths and to City's weaknesses, and of course, that's always good and can can lead to the three points, which it did on the on that evening. I'm not surprised at this result, actually. Um, I think City have shown that they can be vulnerable to the counterattack and that if you disrupt their play in any way and cause a little bit of chaos, you have a chance. And that's what Manchester United did. And, you know, more power to them. Um, Bruno Fernandes did not need an invitation to (laughs) score that penalty. Uh, City are, that's their fault. Uh, And we always knew he was going to put it away. Um, But Lou Shaw with the second goal, he has been the best left back in in England for me personally, and and that's insane to say because I mean yep. Manchester United brought in Alex Telish thinking, you know, he'd be the solution, and ever since he came in, Luke Shaw has just come like just roaring back into form, and I think he right now, if if Gareth Southgate is forced to pick a team, he's got to be in that left back position unless they're playing like three at the back and want to use Chilwell or something, but. I think he's been very impressive and it, it shows on the score sheet for him. Um, in City's case, they were just kind of off the pace, especially Kevin De Bruyne looked very, very leggy. Some simple passes that he could play in his sleep, he wasn't able to do. Uh, obviously, that's very abnormal for him. Who knows if he's mm-hmm. nursing a bit of an injury or what. Um, I think this is one of those matches, too, for City that when you're not having it all your own way on the ball... It, uh, you could benefit from a leader 
a company, if you will, on that pitch. Mm-hmm. Someone like that, um, they don't have that. Um, so when they can't just go through their automatisms, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, and just they have to, you know, think a little bit harder and, and think, uh, how can they beat this team? Not just on the tactics. Um, that's when they would benefit from someone like that, that they just don't have. And maybe even just a conventional striker. How about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think the player that stuck out to me the most in this one was Gundogan because mm-hmm. all eyes were kind of on him. He's been one of the players of the season easily in England. Um, yeah. but in this one, he was popping up in all the right areas and all the areas that we've expected him to show up in, in and around the box. He's making those runs, um, you know, late, uh, he was often the one actually interacting with Jesus up top. Um, he wasn't playing like in a traditional midfield spot at all. And I think it was extremely misleading when they showed both of these formations as four, two, three, ones. I'm just like, I don't think so. Maybe um, a kickoff. <laughs> yeah. Not on the ball, certainly. Like maybe out of possession for City, that's what it looked like. But yeah. um, but yeah, with the ball, you know, De Bruyne was actually playing a little bit deeper than Gundogan and and like anyways, Gundogan's popping up in the box, couple of chances where he kind of swings his boot at it and doesn't make really great contact and all that stuff. And it just all of the form and all of the the confidence and quality that he's shown over this stretch where he's been he, I would I would argue the best player in England yeah. um he all that confidence was just it just wasn't really coming off in the way that that it has been recently and I think when you rely on a player like him to be your most productive player and all of that I think this a game like this is going to happen every once in a while. And like you said, having, you know, someone up top who is just banging in the goals kind of, you know, rain or shine, like whether they're in form or not, um, they're just kind of like in those positions and able to put it away. That's uh, that would make a big difference for the city team. I think for United, the fact that they went, into the Etsy had with a midfield two of Fred and Scott McTominay and one, I mean, that's like unbelievable to me. <laughs> you know, I, I think I do see what you're saying that there's, there's a golfing quality obviously between cities midfield and, and, and United's, but tactically it made a lot of sense to me just to have them there screening so that, James, Martial, Rashford, those kind of pacey yeah. forward players can just wreak havoc and, and even Sean oh. can get forward. And so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it completely worked. Yeah. I don't mean to, I don't mean to say it in the, in the sense that like, oh my gosh, I can't believe city allowed this or anything like that. <laughs> I think saying the words like Scott McTominay and Fred played a midfield two at the Etihad and United won sound insane (laughs) when I say them out loud. The thing, the thing is, is that it did work Mm -hmm. and it, and it did uh, in the end, it's a, it's a deserved win um, for United, which um, pains me to say, because obviously, um, you know, my club hasn't performed that well against city um, in recent times or anyone. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but I think in this case, yeah, I, I think, Oli got it. Oli got it right um, as as a 
uh, he's been rightly praised for. Um, Shout out Dean the only, Henderson too. He he made a true. lot of saves and looked very comfortable yeah. and commanding back there in, in De Gea's stead. Yeah, it. Uh, so Manchester City, it was their first loss since November of 2020 um, when they lost two nil to Spurs, ending a run of 28 games without a defeat across all competitions. Oh my god, that was like several like worldwide traumas ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good God. So Manchester United, uh, as a result of this win, have won three consecutive away games in all competitions against Manchester city for the first time since a run of four between November 93 and November of 2000, obviously city and United not playing as frequently, uh, in the nineties with, with city down in the, in the lower reaches, I think. Right. Back at, main road i think it was called yeah yeah yeah. um and this is an interesting one and we talked about Oli as kind of the the hipster's worst enemy um you know uh and in this case amongst managers uh manchester city's pep guardiola has faced more than three times across all competitions Oli gunner solshire is the only one to have beaten the spaniard more often than he has lost Four wins to three. Jeez, what a stat. But but Solskjaer does this where he's under pressure, then he pulls out a big result. So it's hey, true. That that must be a, sk- a skill in and of itself. He deserves he deserves the credit. Um yeah, big win, big win for Manchester United. And uh obviously I think the the fallback uh and quite naturally from, from city fans is, is going to be to, to look at the league table and, and know that they've still got quite a bit of breathing room. Um, and the gap, uh, remains 11 points, uh, between the two sides, but still a, a, a credit to United to get the win, especially on the road against this city team. Yeah. We'll see if city can, <laughs> they can bounce back. I'm sure they will in, in the Champions League and completely blow Gladbach away. So, <laughs> oh, poor Gladbach. And we will get <laughs> we will get onto the Champions League certainly here in a little bit. But um, while we're feeling sorry for ourselves, uh, <laughs> Liverpool <laughs> lost uh, one nil to Fulham at home. Six consecutive league loss. Uh, at home for, for Liverpool and um, yeah, just another, another one of those games uh, for, for Liverpool um, recently from the outside looking in. Cause I've obviously been, you know, as a Liverpool fan, I think it's easy to get caught up in the, there's a quite a bit of, of um, I mean, we're down bad obviously at the moment, mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot of different things swirling around. It's I'm interested to hear what a what a neutral thinks of uh, of Liverpool at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, just taking this game in isolation. Obviously, it's an extremely weakened Liverpool starting lineup. The back line is nothing like what you know we have become accustomed to. Uh, you know, just the both the Williams boys in there, and then um, <laughs> you know Andy Robertson, really the only like. I guess you could say it was the veteran of the, the back line on, yeah. on the day. Um, 
and, and you know, no Mane, no Fabinho to start, no Cujo, as they call him, Curtis Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a lot of rotation. I think Klopp was maybe looking towards the Champions League um, as he put this team together, and I kind of can't fault him for that. Uh, Liverpool have very limited resources in terms of player personnel right now, and you have to rotate. Um, on the other hand, Fulham were in form, are in form. And so maybe it's not so surprising after all that they won. I think uh, a full-strength Liverpool absolutely blows this Fulham side away, but we we know that's just not the case right now. And, and as in, in terms of the actual play, I mean, Liverpool, they just they look exhausted. I mean, there's a lot of jogging around. Um, the, you know, everyone knows Klopp's style of play is physically demanding, mentally demanding. Yeah. And it's just you know, it's, it's run its course right now. Uh, (laughs) Players are out injured and um, this team in particular, really, even if they wanted to play that way, they really don't have a lot of chemistry um, between each other. I mean, again, Mm -hmm. the back line's completely different. The midfield is composed differently than, than you might want it to be, you know, Henderson to kind of anchor everything. Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, if Salah's not scoring the goals, then kind of, you know where they coming from. I mean, Fabino's injured now. Like it's just everything bad that could happen is happening to Liverpool. And yeah. I've, you know, I've heard the other side of it that say, well, you know, people are making a lot of excuses for Liverpool. Everyone's going through this stuff. And, you know, to some extent, I kind of get that. Like every, <laughs> all the teams, you know, the players are all going through a ridiculous time where, yeah where they're all being asked to do things they've never done before and conditions they've never played in and in a freaking worldwide pandemic, you know? But I mean, Liverpool's particular struggles are well-documented. And I think that it's fair to call that out. It's not making excuses. It's just true. Jurgen Klopp's mom died and he didn't get to see her or, or be with his family. Yeah. Allison's father passed away. He didn't get to go to Brazil to, to be with his family. I mean, the injuries are horrendous. I, I mean, they're not excuses. They're just true. You know, is it a fall off massively? So yes, it's, it's six straight losses at Anfield after what was it like 58 games something or something crazy like that. I mean that, that is incredible. On the other hand though, I do wonder if there is more that maybe Jurgen Klopp could do. I mean, the four, three, three seems like it's not going away and I, I almost wonder why. Yeah, you know, is there more that he could do tactically to 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 make it work with what he's got? Perhaps I do think Jurgen Klopp is one of those, you know, Plan B is make sure Plan A works <laughs> type <Yeah>. of coaches, <laughs> and perhaps that's not perhaps that's not uh, practical in the yeah. situation. So that's kind of my word vomit on the situation. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's interesting because there there is no, you know, if there was a simple solution, then certainly. Klopp and and his staff would have found it, uh, you know, by now, I think, I think one of the things that, that I do think about, um, with this side is there is a, when you play this, this pressure style, this high line, all of these things, um, the only way to, make it work and prevent teams from getting in behind, um, is to pressure the ball. Um, 
And for whatever reason this season, I don't know if it's a, if it, if it is a leg thing, a mental thing, a just personnel thing of not having the right, the right people in there. Um, Liverpool aren't getting any pressure on the ball ever. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. I'm not really sure why that is. Um, but there are so many times that balls are being through balls are being played. Um, and in this game, Ademola Lookman was the out ball, like, nine times out of 10, he was available in space, like to be played. And it was just a simple pass. Um, and that then, you know, turns the whole game into Fulham's game. If, if that makes sense, like it turned it into Liverpool running a lot, like having a lot of the ball, but then chasing back constantly, uh, you know, under threat from the counter. Um, and, Ultimately, the goal itself is a little unlucky uh, in that it's not, it, you know, it's not conceded from open play. It's not, oh, a horrendous defensive mistake or anything like that. Salah's caught in possession, you know, as he goes to clear the ball, basically. Uh, Mario Lamina, uh, quicker to it, gets gets to it. And let's face it, it's a, it's a great finish um, into the corner. The one spot that Allison's not getting to... Um, goes through kind of a mass of bodies as well in the box. So just, you know, a lot of luck associated with, with that, I think, but a great strike. And, um, and ultimately I think the thing that is really defining this, this Liverpool side is that, like you said, everything bad that will, that will happen or could happen is happening. Um, and that goes on to like almost every moment feels like they are just second best. Like it just, there's so many times where it's like caught in possession um, or shots blocked rather than, you know, going through the massive bodies, like um, that final pass coming off the heel of a defender or, or something like that. Just all of those little moments just seem to be going against this team right now. And it's, uh, I don't know what it is, but it seems like there's a massive mental component to it. Um, I will say Anfield, I think a lot is being made obviously of the record and as it, as it should be. I mean, it, it, it is crazy that Liverpool had never lost five games in a row at Anfield ever. And now they've lost six. Like that's an insane stat, but I think it has to be looked at that. Like, what is any of what are any of these grounds like without fans in them? Um, like I'm not saying that, Oh, the record shouldn't count or anything like that. I'm not trying to make that point. I'm just trying to make the point that like Anfield itself had a, a mystique, you know, for, for the last four years um, where teams showed up and, there was like an aura of invincibility as, as Bill Shankly famously once said. Um, And right now empty Anfield is about as intimidating as any, like any ground, like any field. Uh, Like it doesn't really, it doesn't really make a difference that it's at Anfield because no one's there to make it what Anfield is. And, And that goes for every ground. I know, right now, but there's certainly an element of 
Liverpool's best performances this season have been away from Anfield. Um, in almost every case, they beat Spurs away. They beat West Ham away, um, beat Leipzig in Hungary. They, th- the only game where they looked like themselves at Anfield was against wolves when there were spectators allowed. Um, and it's just getting to the point, like sample size wise, where it's like, I don't know. I feel like that has to have some effect. Like there's just something, to the idea that right now, like when the team is down and needs like some sort of boost, it just isn't coming. And when you're at Anfield and looking for that, that little bit of extra to close a man down or something, it just seems like it's just not there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's hard to argue with that. I think it certainly matters um, for a lot of these sides uh, that could be galvanized by the fans, but just, I mean, I think of, I mean, it, maybe this is not the best example, but like Newcastle, or they're sliding down the table as we speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, given Fulham's result uh, at the weekend. And, yeah. uh, but it might be different if St. James had had to, you know, the tune army there, you know, yeah. um, same with Brighton. I mean, if there were fans at the MX, it might be different for them. Both of them will be looking worryingly at what Fulham have done here um, as they kind of are, I think, in the in the relegation fight. But um I do think, though, that this is going to sound harsh, maybe, but uh, hot take, perhaps. But I, I probably would dismantle that front three at this point. Um, not because they're not excellent players. They are. Mm-hmm. But I think I think this is the the highest that their value is ever going to be. And it might be worth reinvesting. Uh, yeah. You know, I think any of the three, really, if an insane offer comes in, like, I think that that uh, Michael Edwards should think about it. Um, Cause you know, Jota's already there. He's already a good piece to, to continue mm-hmm. on with. And, and I know, and I, Liverpool is one of the few clubs in world football that I trust to reinvest wisely. So <laughs> would seeing Mane yeah, or Salah, you know, go out the door hurt for sure, but that might not be the the worst thing in the world. And that's just me as a, a neutral thinking, <laughs> you know, how can, how can Liverpool kind of retool? Yeah. I, I don't want to say rebuild because that, that seems too drastic. I think this is still a good side, but yeah. retool, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the one of the things that was a little bit heartening about this game, as crazy as that sounds to say, is when Fabinho did come on and and Mane too. In fairness, like they did look a lot brighter, um, and Fabinho won the ball back a number of times in midfield, um, where it was just like, ah, oh, that's what it's like to play with a a genuine <laughs> defensive midfielder. Um, it's just we've missed that so much um, with him being, you know, this enforced kind of use as a, as a center back. Um, So I'm hoping this is not the last we see of him in midfield because I'd honestly rather see a makeshift back four if it means like that midfield is, is back set kind of in the place where it should be. Um, And I think, of all the players, like obviously James Milner got to start in this one. I think the player who will probably most love to see Fabinho back in that number six role will be Tiago. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Cause then he'll have that screen and be able to play his game. And, and that that's one of the, 
travesties of Liverpool's season is the yeah. fact that it's being used as some kind of false justification for Tiago is shit, which is yeah. just like, <laughs> duh. Is yeah. he, in my opinion, a bit of a luxury in the situation. Yes. Yeah. A shit player. Absolutely not. Like yeah. he is still world-class and it's just been, I mean, you call back too. I mean, like these players are coming into a situation that's just not ideal for anyone trying to bet yeah. in. So it's just, and Kabak. <laughs> Kabak's injured also. So Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I just assume everyone's injured until I hear otherwise. Exactly. On Mercy's side. Yeah. <laughs> it's like playing a pickup game like, hey, is so and so gonna show up today? Just like <laughs> uh nah, he I don't know if he's gonna make it, like couldn't find a ride, you know, like that's <laughs> uh um yeah it's it's dark days uh for Liverpool, unfortunately. Um down to whatever like eighth now or where are we yeah eighth um actually went below tottenham and which brings us to the next match uh tottenham with a 4-1 win over palace and the reason i bring this match up is not necessarily because the result was that remarkable because obviously spurs are capable of scoring four goals against a team like palace but um gareth bale no longer a meme question mark <laughs> um I, I mean he's been in really good form in his last four matches four goals two assists uh it's interesting kind of seeing like the old spurs and the new or the current i guess kind of combining him you know bale and, and kane combining for uh two goals in this in this uh, victory over crystal palace and harry kane i mean 16 goals, 13 assists in 25 matches is just incredible, really. Um, and that's with missing, you know, the odd game here and there to injury as he does. So, yeah, Spurs are in terrifying form going into the North London Derby, unfortunately. So, uh, unfortunately for Gunners, obviously. Um, so, yeah, it you know, Spurs are, have turned it around. They've strung together a couple wins and hard to hard to criticize him at the moment and it's nice that Gareth Bell's showing up when you know maybe Mora or, or Ali or those others aren't really scoring as much so or or featuring and at least in Ali's case uh the interesting thing we talked about home form uh Tottenham obviously beating Crystal Palace uh at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and uh only City have earned more points at home this season than Tottenham. There you go. It's the two, it, you know, it's the soulless grounds where <laughs> teams are continuing to find joy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I only half, jo- I'm only half joking. So <laughs> no, Spurs fans are, are free to come for me. The one city fan who listens to the show, Pat, I apologize. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, uh, the premier league, uh, results around Arsenal one, one against Burnley. This was, this was a difficult one for a number of reasons, but brought <laughs> premier league refereeing sharply into focus. Yeah. Another missed handball. I, I just, the VAR is making me like, 
come to grips with the fact that I don't know anything about my favorite sport, I guess. <laughs> I, I, you know, you think you know something, and VAR just says, no, actually. Yeah. And neither do we, to be well, fair. And, <laughs> and not, only, not only did they not overturn it and give a handball, but they didn't even really review it to the extent that you see some of these decisions. Obviously, they pour over... They get very granular. They're watching frame by frame, all this stuff. This one, it felt like the check was over. I mean, maybe they maybe they waited 10, 15 seconds to, to restart play. And then it was just like, yeah, check complete. Like, we're, we're happy with it. Yeah, yeah. It's just another shocking piece of refereeing or, or VAR use. I don't know which one it is. It, I, I don't know. And it's not to say that Arsenal would have definitely gone on to win the game. I thought that Arsenal were very wasteful in the first half. It created a bunch and just could not take advantage uh, and end up paying for it. And, and Granite Chalk, obviously, you can't can't overlook his mistake um, in, in playing the ball straight to, I think it was Chris Wood for the equalizer. So, yeah, I mean, were we were we screwed by the refs? I would say so, but I think also we just kind of do what we do, which is not capitalize on chances. So um, there was a bit of rotation too. I mean, there's a big, big Europa League match coming up. And I think that plus, you know, the North London Derby, I think Mikel Arteta, you know, couldn't be blamed, I suppose, for having another eye on that. But disappointing to drop points against Burnley. Yeah, and Burnley, obviously not in the best uh, moment, um, but a little fortunate uh, to come away with a point against Arsenal at Turf Moor. Um, Southampton beat Sheffield United 2-0, and Southampton kind of finally arresting this just terrible slide that they've been on, um, albeit against, you know, the team bottom of the league. <laughs> yeah, good for them, because they, they hadn't won in like a month or something crazy like that, right? So yeah, um, Sheffield United, yeah, they're they're doomed, I think. Um, Aston Villa and Wolves played to a nil-nil draw. Uh, Leicester beat Brighton two-one, and and this was, um, I think much talked about once again as Brighton looked like they were capable of getting out of this first with a win, then with a draw, and Daniel Marti's goal in the 87th minute means that Brighton once again leave with nothing and are now 17th and level with Fulham. It's scary times. I think for Brighton and Hove Albion, I, I, I said last time we spoke that they are in this relegation battle and now even more so um, because Fulham are surging and it's just the Fulham. I, I, you know, I was speaking with someone on, on Twitter on, you know, that interacts with hardcore football. And I said, you know, Fulham are basically the opposite of Brighton right now and that they're actually being rewarded for their good play. Um, whereas Brighton are not. And I, I don't know what the answer is there because we can look at all the advanced metrics. We can debate about Grand Potter, but I think in these moments you just need your players, especially in front of goal to show some quality and show some, some nerve, you know, and, and, and show that they don't want to be down in the championship. And it could, you know, between them and Newcastle, I mean, yeah. it could, it's, it could get tight down there. 
West Brom and Newcastle played to a nil nil draw, um, which missed opportunity certainly for Newcastle um, yeah. to to get yeah some distance. Um, Things are getting the- toxic up there too in the northeast. So I mean, they're always like there's always like a minimum <laughs> level of toxicity at Newcastle. Right. But a Steve Bruce or a uh, not Steve Bruce, sorry, a uh, oh my god. Mike, Mike Ashley? Ashley induced amount of toxicity. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is a little bit of a, it's, it's hotting up as they say. Um, Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea continue their winning ways Two nil win over Everton today in the premier league, a Ben Godfrey own goal and a Jorginho penalty enough to, to see, um, you know, the London blues take down the Merseyside blues. Um, it was pretty comfortable for from Chelsea and and kind of becoming this trademark of this Tuchel side in that they just kind of get the job done and no fuss uh, and and just move on. Yeah, it's funny for all their you know attacking depth. Um, they are actually becoming what's like a hard to beat side under Thomas Tuchel. I think that's been his priority since he came in. Is let me organize this team first and make us tough to break down, tough to play against. And he's certainly done that. I mean, um, again, just keep it another clean sheet and really not having too, too much to do in, in their own half. Uh, and I think I was reading, I didn't get to watch the game, but Kai Havertz numbers looked really good. He looked like he yeah. had a, a nice outing. So good on him. Yeah, it's nice to see and nice to see him get a start in in what was a a pretty big game for Chelsea uh, against, you know, a a team chasing, chasing top top four. Um, Another team chasing top four, almost unbelievable that I'm still saying this uh, at this point in the season, but. West Ham United, David, <laughs> David Moyes and, uh, <laughs> and West Ham United with another win to nil uh, over, over Leeds. Uh, Jesse Lingard scored from a, a, a saved penalty. Um, and then mm-hmm. Craig Dawson uh, scored seven minutes later to seal the points. Um, pretty even game overall, but West Ham getting, getting the win and, and yeah, death. <laughs> David Moyes over Marcelo Bielsa. I mean, West Ham at the Bernabeu next season. Gonna be lit. <laughs> Stop it. Just I embrace can't. it, Phil. I can't. Can you imagine? Uh, think about this. Think about Gibraltar this. Gibraltar is ours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> West Ham fans on a European away post COVID, like things have reopened and like, people are able to like be out in public again. That is, that is a nightmare scenario. The most antisocial behavior yeah. ever. <laughs> All no, no monument is safe across <laughs> Europe. Like <laughs> literally whichever cities are drawn against West Ham. If that, if that is the case in Europe, like engage your local safety councils on, on making Hide sure your that, UNESCO world heritage sites. Yeah. <laughs> close your cemeteries. Yes. <laughs> West Ham fans will be trying to spray paint penises on them. Um. (laughs) No, but for real shout out West Ham. They've they've been playing very well. They have, um, as we said, the premier league table, um, like 
no surprise that we've got that we've got Manchester City perched atop, uh, United behind, Leicester City third, Chelsea fourth, West Ham fifth, Everton sixth, Tottenham seventh, Liverpool eighth, cry, <laughs> Aston Villa ninth, and and Arsenal tenth. Um, and then yeah, down at the bottom getting a little dicey for uh, Burnley with the, with that point um, now three points clear of Newcastle who are in 16th, just a point above Brighton and Brighton above on just three goals of goal difference between them and Fulham um, both on 26 points, West Brom and Sheffield United below that well below that. And, and I don't think we're really even, talking about them anymore in terms of being able to get to safety, but yeah, God, I'm going to be so, I know, I know Jay Konecki is a Brighton fan and I know he'll be, he'll be much more devastated if they go down than I will be. But I, I feel like if this were a normal season, I think Brighton would be a top 10 team. Mm. Yeah. But I think in the current, in the current climate, and what is working and the teams above Brighton, I think kind of demonstrate that Newcastle, Burnley, Southampton, Crystal Palace, Wolves and Leeds all play like different, a very different style to what Graham Potter plays at Brighton, uh, which is a much more, well, attempts to be like possession based. Yeah. Attacking, uh, flowing play out from the back, all of these things and uh, a little less direct, but the direct teams are the ones that are getting the points right now. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I mean, the counter attacking sides are the ones that are, you know, comfortable, um, probably because they get to conserve energy while they're not countering. So difficult times in the premier league. Um, not happy about it. Hate to see it. Hate to be a part of it, but it's <laughs> hate it here. <laughs> yeah, um, it's absolutely brutal. Um, well, I don't want to talk about England anymore, but I do want to talk briefly about Serie A. Not really for any particular match or anything too crazy that happened this weekend, but just to give the update of <laughs> orders been restored somewhat. Um, AC Milan has stopped their their streak of of poor form here with a with a 2-0 win over uh Hellas Verona and it leaves the table um now still firmly in Inter's hands um as Inter with the most interesting result of the weekend I would say a 1-0 win over Atalanta despite the fact that Atalanta dominated this game it was it was a nervy affair today from what I could tell from the Inter fans on the TL. Uh, but yeah, they they come out one no winners. And this is the type of match that you look back and you think like, OK, this is the stuff of title winners, a midweek yep. <laughs> or not, you know, not midweek, but a, you know, Weekday. a Monday, a Monday kickoff, um, a one nil at the San Siro against Atalanta who are flying at the moment as well. Um, and Milan Skriniar, the lone goal scorer, like tells the story. It was their only shot on target of the afternoon, but that's what champions do score. You know, they win the games that they shouldn't and (laughs) the games that they should, uh, and inter now open up a six point gap 
uh, or maintain the six point gap, I should say, with Crosstown Rivals AC Milan. Incredible. It's it's Inter's title to lose now, and the gap uh, between the Crosstown Rivals in Spain and Italy mirroring each other with yes. Milan and Madrid. Um, pretty interesting uh, development. Uh, in uh, another big game of the weekend, though, it should be said, Juve uh, got a 3-1 win against Lazio. Um, and Juve may be just happy to be putting together a, a much better run of form right now. Yeah, for sure. Especially going into Champions League, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Yeah, I think um, with a brief just shout to so Inter Milan, AC Milan, Juve, Roma, Atalanta, Napoli. That's the top of the Serie A table. Um, meanwhile, at the bottom, unfortunately, a 4-2 loss for uh, for Torino to Crotone has dropped oh them. God. Has dropped them into the relegation places again. Cagliari have climbed out, um, and wow. now Torino have two games in hand on those teams around them. So the likelihood that they'll stick around here maybe not so high, but. Uh, they need to start putting some results together because they are struggling. Losing to Crotone is pretty damn bad. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> uh, but that is the state of Serie A at the moment. And I think the Champions League should be next. Champions League coming up um, tomorrow and Wednesday. And first couple of matches uh coming out the Dortmund takes on Sevilla uh it finished 3-2 on aggregate in uh in Sevilla and which means Dortmund take that that three goal three away goal um advantage into into uh the Westfalen Stadion but you know the loss to Bayern at the weekend. How how are you feeling about Dortmund's chances of holding on to this lead against Sevilla? Yeah, I think the ties finished. I think Dortmund will go through. I mean, Sevilla's form has been up and down. Obviously, you know, as you said, Dortmund had just lost to Bayern, but before that, they were on a four-game winning streak. So I think they just kind of ran into the buzzsaw there. Holland should be fit for this match. So again, I'm giving the edge to uh, BVB. Yeah, I think. I think it's an interesting one and I think I think it's not it's certainly not over in the sense mm-hmm. that I think Dortmund, you know, are vulnerable. Um but Sevilla's loss at the weekend was way worse than Dortmund's um For sure. in, in terms of potential blow to morale. So yeah, bouncing back from that could be could be a little rough. Um I think Dortmund maintained the advantage in this one. Uh but Juve Porto Unexpected win in the Dragao for for Porto, a two one win over Juve. Juve do bring that that one away goal back to back home with them, and uh, is that going to be enough? Do you think Juve take care of business in the second leg? Yeah, I think they do. Um, you know, Juventus haven't lost in four matches in the league. Meanwhile, Porto's league form has kind of fluctuated since that first leg. 
um, the big hitters too for Juve are, are getting into form now. I mean, Alvaro Morata has got two goals, two assists in his last two matches. Ronaldo has four goals in his last five. So I see the Bianconeri going through at the Allianz. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I don't want to say a formality, but I think Porto are just have a little bit too much to do um, against, against this UVA side and in good form, as he said. Um, yeah, I think, I think we'll probably see UVA in the uh, quarterfinals. Um, we just spoke a little bit about Liverpool. They, they go to take on RB Leipzig in, it will be in, uh, the Pushkash stadium in Budapest, Hungary again. Uh, so mm-hmm. both legs played there. Um, Liverpool take in a two nil lead, really the last performance that everybody points to as being positive for Liverpool at the moment. Um, right. what do you, what do you think about, about this tie and, and where these teams stack up? Yeah, I think of all the second legs, this one's the most, tough to predict for me yeah um leipzig obviously are in great form having picked up four straight wins since that first leg loss to liverpool and you know like we spoke about liverpool have obviously stuttered quite heavily in the league but i think klopp's weekend lineup against fulham means he'll go stronger for this one i think Mane will start trent alexander arno fabinho Thiago maybe will start maybe even curtis jones um so yeah, if if the, if all those players start, I think I'm gonna pick Liverpool to go through. I think a two nil lead is something that Liverpool can certainly build on, and I think it might do them some good actually to play outside the Premier League and be just physically also removed from England for a bit. And you know, Liverpool, we know what they can do in Europe, so I'm I'm gonna back them to go through. Um, couple of stats about this one that point to I think I think Liverpool will go through but Liverpool have are breaking records in not a, a positive way right now so oh no <laughs> Liverpool have never been eliminated from a European Cup slash Champions League knockout tie after winning away from home in the first leg um the la- in addition the last time they won both legs in the round of 16 was back in 0809 against Real Madrid fascinating okay one of my favorite champions league ties of all time (laughs) everybody remembers the 4-1 at anfield but no one remembers the rafa benitez masterclass in the bernabeo with yossi (laughs) benayun scoring an 89th minute header um (laughs) to to win one nil and take uh the away the away goal back to back to anfield but anyways uh you know shout out yossi benayun um (laughs) PSG Barcelona is the last one. It, it's the big one. It's four one at this point in the tie. This has happened before. <laughs> this yeah. has been the case once before, and we all know what occurred. Um, the last time, what do you think is the remontada possible? Oh my God. <laughs> PSG should win this one. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, of course, the famous remontada, everyone will be thinking about it. I'm not sure if that's that's possible in Paris and without fans. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Barca are, are doing well in La Liga, and they just, as I spoke about at the top of the show, overcame a 2-0 deficit against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey. Um, however, Gerard Piquet, who is the heartbeat of this Barca side, has picked up a knee injury in that, that match against Sevilla. So, I mean, he was a big reason why they were able to get back into that tie in the Copa del Rey. And, and without him against PSG, even though, you know, the memes were made of Mbappe completely tearing away from him, I still think he offers so much intangibly to this Barca side. And to be without him for a pretty unlikely second half comeback, I think it just makes it all the more unlikely. So, yeah, I don't know. Joan Laporta said maybe we can make a comeback in Paris, but I think it's... it's <laughs> uh, that that's the tall, tall order. And PSG have kept three straight clean sheets in league on outscoring the opposition eight to nil. So, I mean, yeah. they're, they're clicking right now, granted to much fear inferior opposition to NFC Barcelona, but PSG should win it. Uh, if they don't, I, I don't even fucking know anymore. Like sweet <laughs> club, if they don't go through, <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. And, and certainly a little bit of extra, oomph in this tie with Mauricio Pochettino, you know, formerly of Espanol and, um, and all of that, that those, those ties, uh, that bind always a little bit interesting. Um, I'm sure he'll want to stick the knife in a little bit deeper for this, for this Barca (laughs) side before they, they go. Um, but that's the champions league, uh, matches for tomorrow. Some fascinating ties or for the next two days, I should say, some fascinating ties and, and really interesting setup um, for these second legs as we head towards the quarterfinals. Um, but the Europa League is in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. First legs kicking off on Thursday. Um, I do want to take this moment to say uh, one of the teams participating in the Europa League is Scottish champions, <laughs> Rangers. Yep. Managed by one Steven Gerrard, who manages uh, Rangers to their 55th league title in in Scotland and indeed his first league title in his career as a player or manager. It's also Rangers first league title. If you listen to Celtic fans who don't consider this Rangers to be the same Rangers before the bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah. It's a new entity and all that. Yeah. Yes. But uh, no. Yeah. Uh, that's the Slavia Prague Rangers is actually a fascinating tie for me now. Cause Rangers can throw it all at the Europa league theoretically. Yeah. Um, and they've been good in this competition. So there's no reason why they can't, uh, go th- further in the knockout stages. I'm really, you know, interested to see what Stevie G can cook up in Europe. He loves a European night, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, this this round of of fixtures is is just fascinating. As I think we spoke about, um, United Milan will will draw the eyes for sure. Um, yeah, and and I think most people will be watching that. Roma Shakhtar for me is, is a potentially really fun one. Um, mm-hmm. We saw what Shakhtar can do in, in Madrid. So, right. you know, Rome, Roma will not uh, intimidate them. Sure. Certainly. Um, but the Roma have plenty of attacking, attacking prowess themselves. And so that one could be, could be a bit of a shootout. Yeah, absolutely. Another one that could be a shootout too, though, is IX young boys. I mean, both yeah. very impressive attacking sides, um, and both managers that are 
I would argue trying out for the Gladbach job. So <laughs> <laughs> um, that maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. Um, but Olympiacos Arsenal is also fascinating because Olympiacos knocked Arsenal out last year. So hopefully revenge is in the cards for the Gunners. But we'll, we'll see a lot of really good matchups, though, in general in Europa League. Uh yeah, young boys Ajax. Uh, for those for those who will remember the Cup Winners Cup of nineteen eighty seven eighty eight, know that these teams met, um, you know, previously in that competition. So, um. oh right, totally, <laughs> I knew that for sure. Um, no, the uh, yeah, really interesting. Like the the way that these are are shaking out. Now, I'll, I'll be I'll be fascinated to to see how these first legs shape up. Um, I'm really hoping for at least one of these teams that, you know, the non-traditional kind of powers to upset the apple cart a little bit or overturn the apple cart, uh, like a team like Zagreb going through against Tottenham would just be hysterical. Um, but also, (laughs) but also it would be, it, you know, it'd be entertaining to see a team really show up. I think, in the last in the last round, you you pointed to Slavia Prague like they knocked Leicester out. That's not yeah. <laughs> you know third place in the Premier League and a, a Czech team you know knocked them out. So I think um, you know when you look at the teams left in here, there's any one of them is capable of going through for sure. Um, well, Mika, I think that brings us towards the end of our episode uh towards our sounds of the season playlists each week we add a couple of songs to the playlist and uh it's on spotify you can find it sounds of the season just search it and you can follow it and it'll automatically update with new songs each week yeah and it's like pushing six hours of music so it's 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 a behemoth it really is (laughs) you you uh (laughs) You kind of, I think our tastes are starting to like, like there's definitely overlap, but there was Mm -hmm. a stratification that was occurring, like a little bit of oil and water where, uh, my, my shit was getting like a little weird, uh, for, for what you were, what you were looking at. (laughs) No, I mean, weird, but good. I, I always listen to your editions and they're always like bangers word um there's something for everyone on there <laughs> but no th- this week i picked like some just like weird shit yes. uh, <laughs> my first song is a song called right now by sr71 they're a if you have not if you can't recognize the song by me just telling you what it means or what it's called you will absolutely know it when you hear it it's just like one of those early aughts pop punk songs that everyone knows and mm-hmm. i dedicated to joan laporta because you know he may not be mr right but he'll do right now <laughs> <laughs> um so that's my first one the other one is uh a quintessential post-hardcore song i would say um and a song by a band called at the drive-in el paso's finest Yep. Uh, and of course, it's the song One Armed Scissor, which a lot of people know this song, probably their most famous song. Yeah. Um, and th- at the drive in, are known for their extremely cryptic, hard to understand lyrics, um, which reminds me a lot of the football season. It's really hard to make sense <laughs> of anything going on right now. But actually, this song is about 
um, just the exhaustion of being on the road and being on tour. Uh, and I think that a lot of the players are definitely feeling that. So there's just a lot about this song that reminded me of just the craziness of this season. And I just wanted to put our hometowns band on, on this playlist finally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was only a matter of time, uh, before they made, before they made their debut. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I I chose a song that Mika, I actually sent you this song like earlier this week because mm-hmm. I I was like listening to some new music, some new releases, and I was listening to and I think you know some folks will know the band of Mice and Men. Um uh, and I was listening to their new EP, kind of giving them a shot because I, I haven't listened to them in quite a while. I haven't listened to their a lot of their new stuff. Um and ever since like all the lineup changes and, and everything that went on. Um, but I can say with confidence that their new EP called timeless is just, it's three songs. So it's easy. Listen, but all three of them are absolute bangers. So back with a bang, um, uh, of my cement. And the one that I chose here is called anchor. Um, because basically the, main chorus of the song uh talks about the fact that uh basically well it's it's all a metaphor but basically you pulled me down like an anchor um and that's how i'm feeling as a liverpool fan just sinking right (laughs) like we're just sinking down to the bottom um as as it stands so I think I there are a few teams out there. I was thinking it was like you're missing your midfield anchor, like Jordan Henderson or something. <laughs> that too. Fabinho. That too. It's a double <laughs> meaning. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so that's, you know, obviously a little bit more on like the metalcore side. Um, although that one's like, I'd say that one is more accessible, uh, like yeah. mainstream rock than, than most of their songs. Um, and then... The other song that I chose, I, I, I chose to dial it back in intensity a little bit from what I've been posting. Um, and I went with I went with some pop punk as well. Um, a band called Neck Deep. Um, yeah. Say what you want. Uh, this song is obviously, you know, is what it is. But the bottom line is like a lot of people are talking uh, on and you know, whether they're serious or not on like Liverpool Twitter. Uh, and I hate to bring them back both back to Liverpool, but you know, talking about clop out and all this stuff, it's like anyone thinking that is, is honestly like absurd. Um, if they're thinking about a managerial change, um, I think the regret from Dortmund is enough to, to show us that, you know, that's not, that's not what needs to change. Like personnel, we can definitely change. Um, but Klopp is, is not an easily replaceable entity. Um, so <laughs> Fair. my advice, uh, to Liverpool Twitter, uh, or those parts of Liverpool Twitter that are not, you know, that are saying Klopp out or whatever. It's just like, say what you want, you know, like I can't stop you, but at the same time, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not with it. Um, I'm not down with that at all. So that's, that's where I'm at. Um, and those are, those are my additions, uh, 
Well, I they, will say Neck Deep, like extremely underrated pop punk band. If you haven't listened to them, um, they are. They are from Australia, if I'm not mistaken. I think, I think the UK. I th- the UK? Did I get my colonies wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Neck Deep are. From, no, they're from Wales. My bad. Who was I thinking of? I don't know, but they are very good. Damn, they probably love Gareth Bale. <laughs> Oh, they're from Wrexham. Oh, no shit. They probably love Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I hope so. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Neck deep to perform at Wrexham's pre-match. That'd be amazing. Anyways. Or to sponsor the kits like uh, yeah. Enter Shikari did <laughs> yeah. with uh, St. Albans. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Amazing. Well, um, I think that just about does it. I, uh, I hope everybody has enjoyed, uh, like we said at the top of the show, if you're finding us for the first time, um, go ahead and follow or subscribe, whichever your podcast platform allows you to do. And the podcast will show up in your feed when I post them, uh, each week. So yeah, get on that. And, uh, we will, I don't know. Hopefully you guys are, are hanging in there. Everybody's doing okay. It's doing well. And, uh, we'll be back with even more hardcore football next week. Yep. Later. Later.